Hello, good afternoon, uh, morning, evening to everybody. Um, we are here to have a fire, virtual fireside chat with uh, Raghu, who's the CEO of Falcon X. Um, the context of this fireside chat is off the back of all the movement that we see in the market around cryptocurrencies, things like the space is kind of growing up. And when these things happen, it's great to speak with people who are like on the thick of it. <laughs> so um, just by way of introduction, my name is Stephen Koch. I'm an associate director at the Boston Consulting Group from the London office. Um, amongst other things that I do, I'm one of the global experts in blockchain, which I think is a space that I've been playing the last 10 years, and specifically we're in the right world of decentralized finance, you know, cryptocurrencies, and you know, more recently around the place on CDBCs. So Ravi, would like to introduce yourself. Thanks so much for hosting, Stephen. Um, really appreciate it. A quick uh, personal introduction on my side, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of context about FalconX as well. Uh, I'm the co-founder CEO for FalconX, and I started my career as an engineer. I specialized in machine learning. Right after that, started two companies, got very successful, uh, got lucky with both the companies, two successful exits. Uh, right after that, uh, went to Harvard Business School. Um, once I graduated, I got the opportunity to work on Sundar's team at Google. Sundar, who is now the CEO of uh, Google and Alphabet, at that point, he was uh, on the Chrome side of things. And my charter specifically was to uh, drive efforts on a product called Chromebooks. Essentially, these are laptops powered by Chrome, the browser. Uh, we got incredibly, uh, you know, successful in uh, U.S. schools, and uh, that taught me firsthand on how to build uh, billion-dollar products and lead teams through this massive scale. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, through some of the brightest engineers that I know at Google, I got exposed to blockchain and uh, Bitcoin. Um, and once I, you know, fell in love with uh, the technology and what that could potentially mean to the world, uh, I got really excited, and we started FalconX about two and a half years back. And uh, FalconX, in, in a nutshell, we're one of the fastest growing fintechs and uh, one of the largest uh, disclassed prime brokers uh, in the space. Specifically, what that means for you is we are institutions only. And for institutions, we help you all the way from what is this Bitcoin thing um, and what does that mean as the world evolves uh, to how do you actually get exposure? And how do you custody and what are the safe best practices around custodying? How do you settle once you get exposure to Bitcoin? And after that, you know, can you earn yield on Bitcoin or your US dollar? So we help institutions through their entire life cycle of their digital asset needs. So we're very fortunate to be one of the largest one-stop shops in the industry. Thank you, Raghun. You know, your experience is fascinating and to a large extent envious, you know, you've been you know, in several such interesting parts of the industry. And yeah, I think your, you know, FalconX is an interesting story because of that kind of one-stop shop, you know, logic that it has. And you know, you know, when when you come from this institutional space, that's kind of the expectation you have when you want to when you want to play. So that's you know what brought me close to you, and that's why I'm so excited about learning from you. So maybe let's maybe just let's just start from the top there. You know, because I just mentioned in the beginning, there's a lot of movement in the market. So. What what do you see? You know, what do you think? You know, what is happening in the crypto market recently? Yeah, uh, very interesting. Last one year, especially with uh, with the pandemic, um, I think the whole digital asset adoption, specifically Bitcoin adoption, accelerated by at least two to three years. As the world is printing money, I mean, uh, we're printing anywhere from six to eight trillion dollars. 
And what that means is the weighted average global inflation is going to be around 5 to 7% for the next three to four years. And as the, the macro backdrop of uh, printing is happening, a lot of institutions believe uh, that Bitcoin is a relatively good inflationary hedge. And that is one narrative uh, that is shaping up very strongly in the industry. Specifically, the U.S. started uh, you know, increasing the M1 money supply around the March of 2020. Around the April-May time, uh, time frame, Paul Tudor Jones, who is uh, the father of modern uh, hedge funds, uh, he, uh, he mentioned that he's taking Bitcoin exposure and uh, for the thesis of uh, it being an inflationary hedge. And he compared it to uh, Bitcoin, you know, in, in the similar uh, stage as what gold was in 1970s. And that really unleashed a wave of U.S. institutions. So we started seeing uh, a very diverse set of U.S. institutions come in, uh, you know, beginning May, and it, the numbers just exploded. And around the November timeframe, we started seeing the Asian institutions coming in in big numbers. And, you know, beginning of this year in January, that's when retail started coming in. So the COVID and associated money printing really accelerated, you know, Bitcoin uh, adoption in a summary. Got it. And, you know, then the natural question follows, which is, is this yet another one, like another bull run or cyclical run? Or do you think, you know, this time is different? And if so, why? Oh, that's a fascinating question. Um, I think we're seeing, uh, unlike the 2017 run, we're seeing a fundamental shift uh, and more sustainability this time, uh, Stephen. To be very specific, uh, Niall Ferguson, uh, who is a professor at Stanford, uh, he he claims that, you know, pandemics uh, usually give birth to uh, new and improved financial rails. And that's been the case for the last, you know, three, four, five times world seen uh, this this amount of disruption. Um, so on that, uh, on the heels of that theory, what we are seeing, we already spoke about uh, the inflationary hedge. The second thing that a lot of institutions, right, I mean, the Fortune 1000 companies, the hedge funds that we're speaking with, they are beginning to also talk about, uh, you know, Bitcoin specifically being a nice, uh, you know, geopolitical risk hedge, especially if there is trade policy friction between the U.S. and China, which is expected to basically flare up uh, under the current administration. They, you know, historically, at least in the 2019 period, we've seen like, you know, Bitcoin do well when the trade policy friction flares up. So that is another reason. But more importantly, what is the fundamental shift that I'm referring to? If you look at it, um, you know, the one of the underlying themes of this run is tokenization of real world assets. So there, U.S. dollar is getting heavily tokenized by one is to one pegged cryptocurrencies called stable coins. So essentially, USDC is a stable coin version of U.S. dollar, which is pegged one is to one. And we see a lot of institutions getting comfortable and US, using USDC instead of USD. So the tokenization of real-world assets and most of these institutions getting operational comfort around using digital assets like Bitcoin, those, I think, are fundamental shifts towards sustainability in this bull run compared to what we've seen in 2017. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right. I and mean, you know, if you think about this strategically, there's that operational capability test is, is something to consider, right? Because then, you know, there's a number of end states, not all of them are necessarily Bitcoin, you know. Uh, yeah. Especially when you start seeing, seeing, seeing uh, some companies are playing into this space, um, you know, you could always fast forward. And say, okay, well, if you, if you really start having CDBCs, you mm -hmm. know, uh, central bank digital currencies play out in whatever shape or form, 
then you need to be operationally ready to entertain those, right? And that, that is something to kind of take into consideration as well. Now, this, this is very insightful. And I, now, if I start to, you know, look at this, in, in, the, in very recent times, how you've seen it evolve? Like, cause you've, been, you've been doing this for quite a while already, even, even though like, in the grand scheme of things, it's short in the world of critical is almost like, you know, dinosaur times. So <laughs> what, you know, what have you seen since then and kind of that merits kind of actually getting treasures and institutional getting like doubling down on this? Yeah, I mean, uh, what we've been seeing over the last, uh, you know, two years is, uh, as I mentioned, some of the dynamics of uh, first institutions in crypto, like two and a half years back was all crypto native, meaning uh, funds that are started in crypto and completely focused on crypto. That's how the institutional side of the space uh, started. Now, as what we were discussing just a little bit uh, before, uh, in the middle, early part of 2020, we've seen a lot of traditional institutions come in. But more importantly, one of the big changes that we are seeing on that front is the diversification of uh, institutions that are coming in. Yes, in the very early part of 2020, it was all traditional hedge funds that were coming in, traditional prop shops that were coming in. But now we see like, you know, insurance companies like MassMutual, uh, you know, corporate treasuries uh, like, you know, uh, MicroStrategy, Tesla and a whole bunch of corporate treasuries are in conversations with us. Um, so we've seen a lot of corporate treasuries uh, coming into the space uh, which is a very, very big uh, shift. And the underlying themes we spoke about, you know, Bitcoin as an inflationary hedge, a geopolitical hedge, stable coins and the tokenization of real world assets. Uh, we're also seeing use cases like, you know, institutions are beginning to dip uh, more deeply into Ethereum, not just Bitcoin anymore. So that is one trend that uh, we're seeing. The second thing is crypto as a transmission rail for cross-border payments. And that is uh, another change uh, that we're seeing. Uh, we're fortunate to uh, see some of the largest payment providers uh, you know, use the liquidity on Falcon X. And when we see the data, uh, it is amazing, right? I mean, literally, uh, you know, the largest providers in Africa, Philippines, Indonesia, and some of them in the US, they're doing 20 times more vo uh, volume on crypto than what they did literally uh, eight to nine months back. Yeah. Is it, is it, and the cross-border payments is interesting because it's all about it's not about the technical functionality which what people got used to before. It's about the liquidity pools, right? right. And this really play a role. Now, I want to kind of go back to kind of a couple of things that you mentioned. You know, if I if I'm a treasurer, you know, why why would it start allocating and what what do you need to care about beyond what you mentioned around kind of inflationary hedge? Yeah, I think. Uh to calibrate, uh, we've seen, you know, corporate treasuries all the way from Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, G2000, and a whole bunch of private companies uh, thinking about uh, exposure. Uh, I would, uh, I would want to calibrate what they mean by exposure because there's a there's a very diverse narrative that's out there saying that corporate treasuries are putting a whole bunch of a uh, whole portion of their uh, balance sheets on uh, Bitcoin. That's not true. What we've seen is most corporate treasurers who are coming in to get exposure to Bitcoin uh, are considering 1% to 2%. Yes, I mean, there is this, the Teslas of the world considering uh, who has taken 8% exposure, but that, that is far and few. Most of them are considering the 1% to 2% you know, uh, exposure. Now, why are they considering it? Uh, definitely, you know, inflationary hedge is one major argument uh, that they all cite. The geopolitical risk hedge, which we already discussed, 
The third thing, which is becoming increasingly evident and uh, like, you know, the prime and center of the conversation is yield generation. Literally, if you look at it, $1.8 trillion worth of, uh, you know, cash is sitting with S&P 500 uh, companies. And what that means is, like, you know, if you're getting into this regime of inflation, your money is not actually put to work. If you go to a commercial bank, you're talking about 80 to, you know, at the very most, 180 basis points of interest rate per year. Uh, but if you leverage what's happening in crypto for your U.S. dollar, you can now see about uh, 5%, 5.5%. Uh, so 550 basis points in comparison. So those are the three reasons why, uh, you know, uh, corporate treasurers and uh, treasuries are definitely looking into digital assets, starting with Bitcoin, Ethereum, and also using U.S. dollar to basically uh, generate yield. Interesting. So, you know, where do I start? So if I'm a, if I'm a treasurer, right, how do I think about this and kind of what are the considerations I need to take into account? Yeah. Um, what we've been hearing as we engage with a lot of these uh, treasuries, they want to understand the what first very, very well. Then they want to understand the how. They want to get to the uh, when. So we can probably go in the, uh, the same sequence, Stephen. Uh, first and foremost, I think a lot of corporate treasuries, I mean, um, like the very early ones that we've interacted in the October, November of the world, uh, it used to be, okay, tell me about Bitcoin. I, I don't know anything about Bitcoin. Let's start with what is Bitcoin and what does that, uh, what does that mean? So, uh, but now we see corporate treasuries, uh, you know, definitely more sophisticated in their understanding of Bitcoin. But it always starts with why Bitcoin? What, uh, what about Bitcoin that is important to have uh, exposure? Beyond just Bitcoin, can we generate yield? So the, the first part is like what we spend a lot of time. And uh, thankfully, rather than doing, you know, months and months of copious research, uh, any any great brokerage out there or a one-stop shop out there can really help you compress that research window from three to four to five months to literally two hours, three hours of conversations. You know, why Bitcoin? Who else is doing it? How are they doing it? All of that can be really uh, compressed in that two-hour window. Now, the second thing, once the what is very, very clear, then we get into the how and the mechanics of it. Uh, so that is where I think uh, it truly is very important to find a provider and a partner that can really collaborate with you in terms of go, you know, thinking about it end to end. All the way from what percentage of your balance sheet uh, will you be having exposure to disk assets like Bitcoin? Are you also considering Ethereum? Or what percentage of your balance sheet are you thinking about yield generation? So that is the first set of questions that we answer. Let's say, uh, you know, once that is defined, the second thing is there are various types of exposure, right? I mean, do you want synthetic exposure to Bitcoin through futures or do you actually want to have physical uh, meaning? Do you want to buy uh, Bitcoin itself? So that is the second part uh, of the how question. The third is that what are the order types, right? I mean, the, like, you know, what is the time period in which you want to buy? Do you want to, like, you know, discretion is extremely important for all these uh, corporate treasuries. Single most important thing for all of them. So how do you actually make this purchase uh, very, very discreetly? Uh, and after that, then we'll get into once someone procures Bitcoin, then we'll get into, uh, you know, the when part of it. When do you trigger uh, this execution? How do you custody it? And how do you settle the trade? All the mechanics uh, we then get into it after the fact. Uh, you know, this is right. You know, getting back to this a matter of size at the end of the day, right? So, mm -hmm. if I you say that the allocations are on one to two percent, so if I'm sitting on five billion quid, 
you know, basically that means that it's $50 million that I want to put there. Now, you know, if I'm a, you know, if I don't know this market, you know, and I'm used to, you know, what I see in the news or what I see in the market, like that seems like a bit of a, okay, is it even possible to do? You know, the answer is probably yes. But what do you just walk you, walk us through kind of how do I execute? You know, I, I want to expose my, you know, 50 million quid or 1% of my balance sheet into this. How does that play out? Yeah, we've been getting that question a lot, uh, Stephen. So I think that'll be very useful to walk through some of the mechanics. Once you decide that, like, you know, as an example, uh, you want to get $50 million, you want to buy $50 million of Bitcoin, uh, the three variables associated with it. First and foremost, when do you want to initiate the uh, purchase? Right. I mean, if you have a specific preference of getting internal approvals, bringing out the custody part of it, if you're like, OK, let's make that, that transaction after two weeks. Uh, that's the first question. The second thing is, uh, over what duration do you actually want to uh, make the, the the purchase? Because if you go to market, um, you know, especially with $50 million plus, uh, yes, I mean, uh, unlike the equities, which are very dense, the order books and the trading volume is extremely dense. Crypto, uh, crypto's trading volume is not as done uh, dense as traditional equities yet because it's an emerging asset class. What that means is you're not going to place a market order for $50 million or you're not going to basically put a resting limit order of $50 million because that'll move the price in the market, which is which works against you. So the best way to handle it is the second aspect is the $50 million, let's say we decided to purchase that together after two weeks. Uh, the most important thing to figure out is the what's the time horizon of purchasing. So uh, purchasing it over a period of one hour is very different from uh, over 24 hours or 48 hours, especially for a $50 million clip. Based on today's market conditions and the trading volume, we don't want to basically go over 2% of the trading volume. So I think $50 million can potentially be done without affecting the market in 24 hours based on today's conditions. So we work with you whether 24 hours, 36 hours, 72 hours, whatever is the right window for you. And once we get that calibration, we use our, any good provider uses a, a flavor of what we call as TVAPs, right? Time-weighted average pricing. And uh, to basically buy small chunks of uh, Bitcoin over a period of time without affecting the market so that your privacy is preserved. And the second thing, you get a nice, clean, time-weighted average price rather than falling to the prey of the local maximum or the local minimum for the day. So... That is how we typically think about uh, the $50 million. And once the trade is complete, then the choice is completely yours, right? I mean, you have, you're sitting on $50 million of birth, uh, worth of Bitcoin. You can choose to get uh, yield on the Bitcoin that you purchased, or you can simply choose to custody it you know, without uh, generating yield. That is, again, a decision uh, that okay. corporate treasurers vary. And, and what, what role do you play here? Because custodianship in this context is, is different than what you are typically used to in other asset classes, right? So what, what role do you play? And then how do you actually execute your yield capabilities then? Yeah. So from a custody standpoint, we, we have two flavors. We, if As a corporate treasurer, if you have decided on a custodian that you want to work with, we work with every major custodian that's out there. In terms of basically, you know, receiving Bitcoin, sending Bitcoin, basically the settlement operations with any major custodian is already established. So that is one modality. The second, which is the more common modality is a lot of treasuries come to us and is like, hey, help us make the custody decision. Because we are like, you know, we have sizable assets uh, that we deal with on a day to day basis. So we 
uh, vetted a whole bunch of custodians for their security, their infrastructure, their reliability, and also the track record of how things are uh, getting done. So we have a 40-page document that talks about all these vendors in detail. So we can help you, uh, you know, pick one of the custodians. And once we pick a, a custodian together, I think we integrate with them seamlessly so that for you, it is a very simple experience as, as simple as over, over a call or over an email. We can establish a you know, bunch of security checks. Three, two out of the three people within your firm needs to communicate. Once that uh, communication happens, we take care of everything, including purchasing Bitcoin, pushing it to the custody, establishing the controls for your custody. We help uh, take care of all of that. Got it. And, you know, you kept on coming back to yield, which which is absolutely interesting, especially if, you, if you're if you offering a counterparty that can offer the liquidity, so it's kind of cash-like yeah. solution. So what could you elaborate a bit more on that? Like, you know, what assets, you know, is that available for? Like, what is the typical kind of API that you get, you know, with an extent that you can share? Yeah, absolutely. So... I'll break that question into uh, two aspects. The first aspect is how do we generate yield? Uh, and the second thing is what are the assets um, you know, that are available for yield generation? So essentially, any, any commercial bank, uh, any provider that's basically paying you interest rate, they're figuring out how to basically earn that or higher in terms of interest rate and then pay you back. So the mechanism that Falconex uses to generate that yield is there are a lot of traditional hedge funds who uh, you know offer us over collateralized positions, uh, and they want to delay those positions by you know so instead of a T plus one business day settlement, they choose to delay those settlements by up to twenty days. Now these are completely over collateralized positions. If you take an over collateralized position and then delay it by 20, uh, 20 days, each day I have the opportunity to charge a variable interest rate for the opportunity for the customers who are expressing a view in the market to delay the settlement. So I make money, given where the crypto markets are, for these over-collateralized loans, I make uh, you know an interest rate which is so much bigger and better than the, the traditional markets. Now, for me to fuel those positions, um, if Stephen, as a corporate uh, treasurer, wants to put the $50 million Bitcoin that he just purchased right now to work, I use that to basically underwrite the over-collateralized positions uh, that my other customers are taking, generate a yield, and give it back to you. So the risk profile on this is like, you know, again, these are over-collateralized positions, uh, institutions only, and with a track record of uh, trading with, with us over a period of time. Now, what are the assets that we support? All the way from US dollar, Bitcoin, Ethereum, to other assets, we basically can provide yield on any of these assets. The most common form factor is U.S. dollar. A lot of uh, some of the corporate treasurers are um, sitting on hundred million dollars of U.S. dollar. You know, uh, can you give us a yield? As of today, the rate is somewhere between five to five and a half percent. You know, APR for U.S. dollar, and we've been sustainably doing that for about a year now. The second is Bitcoin and the DISL assets. Bitcoin and Ethereum being the most common ones for yield generation. So there you see a rate of anywhere between two to three and a half or two to four percent, depending on the market conditions, Stephen. That's, that's very interesting. And you know, ultimately is securities lending, right? Uh, in, in, in play money terms. You know, that's super clear. Now, 
beyond like you just we covered a lot of ground in terms of operationally how do you get like from nothing to kind of exposure and even your generation what what how do i make the you know decisions around here on the basis of risk you know mm-hmm. what do you take into account yeah i mean just got off a call with a corporate treasurer uh, who asked the exact same question how should i think about uh, risk overall i would say there are three buckets uh, steven um first and foremost is the 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 technical technical security uh, side of things crypto with all the benefits of being an extremely fast 24/7 global decentralized rail one of the things that you got to be extremely cautious in crypto is the security side of things so each bitcoin is held by something called a private key and a public key and a private key uh if someone loses the possession of the private key it's very difficult to recover the bitcoin that you hold so while it might seem scary in 2014 2015 2016 yes it was really scary to hold bitcoin now there are excellent topologies to basically make it very safe and secure to basically handle bitcoin but getting into the details and understanding about the technical security how is it stored where is it stored who has the access uh, within within the company that you're working with and who has the access within the corporate treasury uh, function that you have within the company so those specifics are very important because technical security is like extremely important number 2 uh, it's very important as you're thinking about a service provider it's very important to understand the scale of operations right i mean uh, yes there are like you know newer players uh, claiming uh, to do some of this but their volumes and the scale of operation is very small compared to some of the more established players uh, for example we we do well over 5 billion dollars of transactions uh, transaction volume on a monthly basis what that scale gives you is comfort that the st- the operational processes behind it are time tested established and bulletproof and audited and that mm-hmm. is very important the operational aspects of how do you actually work with the client i mean how do you set expectations correctly all of that stuff the third aspect which is also very very uh, uh, important when you're considering this is the discretion part of it um you do not want a news article before the time when you want to announce it yourself because there's so, as as you can see there's so many crypto narratives that are extremely hot in the market everyone is looking to seize the moment on uh, a narrative discretion is something that you got to take very very seriously otherwise there are big implications to how a company is perceived because of uh, you know some of the dislasted exposures so i would say these are the three things uh, that i'd strongly recommend you consider when you're thinking through a vendor because basically ultimately at the end of the day if you think about your the description you made for treasurer on a trade life cycle around you know yield generation around risk security ultimately as a treasurer what i would expect from any asset class right mm-hmm. and so you know I personally feel I learn a lot from this. And if I maybe synthesize just to see if maybe I made a mistake or misunderstood something, you know, there's a couple of things that come out of this conversation. Mm-hmm. So the first one seems to be that, you know, the, the, the market and the asset class in its general sense, not just speaking on cryptocurrencies generally, is kind of growing up. And, you know, and, and for institutional investors to get into this game, they need to have a service in logic which is a key you know other asset classes so it shouldn't be more or less compl- you know more complicated or different than mm-hmm. really an asset class right there's you know typically you know people getting into this space and te- you know they're testing the waters or preparing themselves operationally you know there's a bit of inflation hedge but also there's relatively attractive yield generation opportunities in the, in the lights of basically how difficult it is to you kind know, of make money in the money markets 
mm-hmm. you know, at the moment. Um, you know, when you walk, you know, your explanation about how you did as a culture of treasure was interesting because it, it very much felt every time I was listening to you was, yeah, well, this is how we deal with any asset. Mm-hmm. Right? I think the interesting part about it is the size. Right, mm-hmm. because you know, it is important in this market. You know, this, this ultimately, if you think about Bitcoin, the asset class, while it looks big, is actually quite small in the grand yeah. scheme of things. So there's a bit of like care in terms of how do you expose yourself or how do you try start your investments. So it's, a, it's a very good learning for that. Um, we covered a lot. I don't think we covered all. And obviously, <laughs> we could spend hours, you know, about this. I, I know I could. Um, but maybe just, just to close on this, you know, is, is there anything that you thought we would have covered that we haven't covered? You know, anything that you thought I would have asked that I didn't ask? Just want to get like your parting comments on this. Oh, absolutely. And first off, that's an excellent summary uh, in terms of our conversation. Just a uh, second back. Um, in terms of uh, what I want to basically uh, anchor or just put a, a note of reminder, what, what we're experiencing in digital assets is not just one more cycle of speculation and, and fad. Uh, I think we are seeing a, a fundamental, you know, shift to a much more advanced, digitally native uh, financial rails for where the world is going. And whether it's tokenization of real-world assets, twenty-four-seven operations, are like you know, geopolitical risk hedge mechanisms. Literally, these are these seem to be the future of uh, the finance. And especially as the world is going through this fundamental shift, it is very important for you and your organization uh, to understand what this means to your company. And that is a place where FalconX or a provider like us, a one-stop shop, can truly be a partner in creating value for both sides. So I'm really excited uh, for what's happening in the market and the quality of institutions coming into the space. If we could be of any help, uh, please let us know. You can reach me at uh, Raghu, R-A-G-H-U, at falconx.io. Uh, uh, we'd be very happy to help. It was an absolute pleasure, Raghu. Thank you very much for your time, and thanks, everybody, for watching. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, uh, Stephen. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Falcon X Podcast. Make sure to find us online at falconx.io or follow us on Twitter at falconxnetwork. Join us next week as we dive even further into the world of cryptocurrency.